Relationship Alive is my offering for you so that you can have the most amazing relationship possible. So if you're finding the show to be helpful, please consider a donation to help ensure that we can continue. In order to choose something that feels right for you, just visit neilsatin.com slash support or text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. This week, I would love to thank Kevin, Bart, Renee, Sophie, Helen, or Helena, or Helen, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce your name, and Tracy. Thank you so much for your support of the Relationship Live podcast. Today's show is one that I've been excited about for a while with fellow podcast host and relationship coach Jason Gaddis. And in it, we're going to dive deep like we always do into the practical ways that you can steer your relationship in the right direction. And as you might imagine, many of the things that we're going to talk about require really stellar communication skills. So I put together a free guide, and if you haven't gotten it yet, now is your chance to download my top three relationship communication secrets. These are the kinds of things that will help you stay connected to your partner no matter how challenging the thing is that you're talking about. In order to get the free guide, all you have to do is visit neilsatin.com slash relate or text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. We have a new sponsor for this week's episode of the podcast, yogaglow.com, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about them later. But the last thing is, if you haven't joined us yet on Facebook, please come find the Relationship Alive community, where more than 1,200 people have gathered to have a safe space and supportive conversations about how to have amazing, thriving, conscious relationships. So please come join the Relationship Alive community on Facebook. And I think that's it. So let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. How do you take on your relationship in an intelligent way? How do you show up in a way that brings learning and growing to the forefront of what you do with your partner? And I guess another way of saying this is how do you avoid doing stupid shit that just perpetuates old patterns and old heartbreak and heartache and instead show up for this dance of relationship in a way that welcomes every part of your experience, whether it's the amazing joy that relationship can bring or the painful moments that relationship can bring. In the words of today's guest, there's only one place to work out our relationship issues, in relationship. And to talk about this, I have with us today a very special treat, a fellow podcast host and relationship coach, the founder of the Relationship School and the Smart Couple Podcast. His name is Jason Gaddis, and if you haven't checked out his show already, I definitely recommend that you do. His is a great blend of what we know about neuroscience, what we know about psychology, what we know about personal growth. In many ways, a lot like what we're trying to do here on Relationship Alive. But as you'll see, he's got a, he's, he has his own perspective, and that's something that I really appreciate is being able to bring different points of view uh, onto the show. And I'm making an assumption here because I feel like I know enough about Jason to really appreciate the work that he's doing in the world, and I want you to be able to hear from him as well. And maybe we'll find out where, where we are aligned and where we are different in today's episode. Jason's just come out with a book called The Smart Couple Quotebook, Radically Simple Ways to Avoid Pointless Fights, have better sex, and build an indestructible partnership. So what could be better than that? And in this book, he shares quotes from his own writing and as well as some of the people who have been guests on his podcast, but it's mostly his own work. And it is the perfect kind of 
a coffee table book or bedside book where you can pick something up, open to a random page, get an amazing piece of wisdom and have something to reflect on or to chat about with your partner. We'll get a chance to dive deep today with Jason Gaddis. In the meantime, if you want to download a detailed transcript and guide for this episode, you can visit neilsatin.com slash smartcouple, or you can always text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions, and I will send you a link to that guide and transcript. I think that's all the business to cover. Uh, Jason Gaddis, thank you so much for being here with us today on Relationship Alive. Yeah, Neil, I'm really honored to be here, man. Thanks for having me. I think what I'd love to start with is to get your perspective. I feel like there should be a warm-up question here, but what's calling to me right now from having read through your book is your view of pain in relationship. And... So many people, of course, come to our podcasts and our work as coaches um, because they're in pain and they feel like pain is the problem. And I'm wondering if you have a perspective on pain that helps uh, mine it for the, the golden opportunity that pain often brings. Yeah, yeah. I, I love pain. I mean, I don't like feeling it, but I, I love it because it's always what ignites transformation in me. And it's it's often what I see um, brings people to the path and to um, a better result in their life. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of pain. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I definitely don't enjoy the crunchiness of it in a argument with my wife. And um, I know intellectually, and this kind of holds me through it, that on the other side of this painful experience, we're going to be better off. Uh, so I, I'm a big fan of helping people embrace pain as a doorway, uh, as a gateway, and as a path to, you know, greater fulfillment, really. So when someone comes to you and says, I'm in a ton of pain in my relationship, where do you start with that person? Um, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like congratulations, like... Um, Welcome, and I'm I'm glad for you that pain's brought you to your knees enough that you're willing to uh, learn something new here, because clearly how you're doing it's not working. And they would probably tell me that themselves, but I might reflect something like that back if they if they were a little stuck, you know, in their victim seat, which we we get stuck in. And um, I'd say, great, let's let's zero in on um, what the pain is and h- how is it, how did it come to be, and what are you responsible for in that. And let's, uh, let's change it. Let's do something about it. Yeah. And one thing that I've loved about your work and my experience of it is this feeling that I've had that you're not afraid to uh, tell it like it is. You don't really pull your punches. And I'm thinking about your, your course, not that I've taken it, but I, I actually... Um, attended a webinar of yours that I think was meant to promote your end your struggle with him course. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, So I'm curious, could you just offer um, what's tell us a little bit about what is that course all about End your struggle with him and, and just my observation in, in listening to you from the very beginning was, yeah, this is a guy who isn't afraid to tell it like it is and to encourage uh, you to tell it like it is for yourself to be in your truth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thanks for understanding that. <laughs> yeah, and your struggle with him is um, really part of my own journey with my wife and women in general. Where it's a course designed to help women who are struggling with emotionally unavailable men. That's uh, pretty common out there. It's a pretty common complaint. A guy is shut down, or he's pulling away in some degree. And this was basically me for 10 years in all the relationships I had prior to meeting my wife. I was that guy that would, if you were dating me, after a couple of months, I would eventually um, start to close up and uh, not reveal who I am. And little did I know at the time that fear was was really running the show for me. But I, I would typically blame the woman. You're too needy. You're too emotional. You're not this enough. You're not that enough not necessarily outwardly, but in my mind, right? And then I would try to find a way to leave that relationship. And there's a guys like this everywhere. 
And to be in a relationship with a guy like this is really frustrating. So I created a course for women to on how to deal with the former me and what they can do to either change it or move on. Uh, because there's a good man in that guy, like every man is, I believe in his heart, is a good human being. Uh, but it's covered over with a lot of defenses and hurts and injuries that have him behaving in the way he is. So um, I'm like, I help women understand that type of man what they can do to enroll him in uh, in a good relationship, and if he's not willing, then how to move on. What are what are some of the initial steps? Not that you have to go through your entire course content here, but if that lights me up, I just heard that, and I'm like, yeah, my dude is he's totally shut down, or he, you know, I keep asking him to to show up with me or to to understand me, and and but he doesn't he's not interested in anything he's not interested in therapy he's, he's just happy just the way things are even though i'm miserable where yeah. does that person start yeah one of the first places to start is just to assess the situation and take a giant step back so i always encourage women to hit the pause button on their reactivity and the way they've been approaching it which is typically to pursue uh, so guy starts to pull away uh, and this is true, and as you know, in any kind of relationship dynamic, there can, if there's a distancer, then it awakens this pursuer um, part of us that wants to, that feels anxious about being rejected or left, and so we pursue the person that's going away. Like, hey, can we talk? Like, what's wrong with you? Where are you going? Which only serves to drive that person farther away, especially if we're, if we're coming from an anxious place. It usually doesn't work uh, or work out well for us. So I just say, step one is like, pause. <laughs> pause on that approach, take a giant step back. And then I might offer some journaling exercises and see how long it takes for this guy to notice that you've kind of stopped your habitual pattern of pursuing him. And if he doesn't notice and it goes days or weeks, it's like that, that's really good information. Wouldn't you want to know that? <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes he's, uh, he's notices. He's like, Hey, what's wrong? Where are you? How come you're not returning my calls, et cetera. So, um, I liked, that's like step one is just, stop and take a breath and assess. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe down the road of that journey that someone might go through, because this is a, a very common question that comes my way as well, which is, I feel like I've done everything. I feel like I've tried everything. I feel like I'm taking responsibility for my stuff. I've figured out how I used to try to invite my partner in and I see that it wasn't very inviting and now I'm mm -hmm. I think I'm doing a better job of that and yet I'm still bumping up against the wall all the time how do I know when it's time to just find someone better do you have a like a bellwether that you offer people because it's a challenging choice and obviously we choose to be with people not because they're um, stubborn or, or shut down there was something that that drew us to that person mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So how do we know when it's time to move on is essentially the question. Is that right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's an important question and I think it's really different for everyone. Uh, we each have our own threshold and it, it's actually amazing how, how much some of us will tolerate in this type of relationship in terms of not being met emotionally, for example. Um, people will go years, decades. And um, my first question back to them is what are you getting out of that? Um, mm. you know, just kind of a psychoanalysis type question of, well, you're clearly getting some out of that or you wouldn't, you would have left already. And people, often people offer simplistic advice to these types of women. Um, if we're talking about the male, female dynamic here, um, and it can be like, God, just move on. Like he's so not treating you well, just get out of there. And it's a lot more complicated as you know, than that. It's usually we're getting something out of it. It's kind of working for us in some kind of miserable sort of way. And we're playing something out from our childhood. So uh, the people, the women that I notice actually have success here and do end up moving on in a good way and attracting a, a sort of more qualified partner down the road is they, they use it as an opportunity to heal something from their past, often with their father. Often they grew up with an emotionally unavailable dad, a dad who was working all the time, and they had to pursue his love to, you know, and pursue connection with him to like get acknowledgement. And then they play that out in their adult life and it's really painful. So, I have women examine their past and and the women that do, Neil, come out and the, and they do some work around it and then it's like, 
okay, I get it. I get why I'm doing this. And I'm, there's more choice now, right? With more awareness comes more choice. So, ah, now I have the space and breathing room to go. I don't want to play it this way anymore. And there, then there, there's a level of confidence that comes with having done a little bit of work there. And then they're more ready to move on, uh, especially if their guy's not budging. Yeah, and and I think that's true, you know, whether you're a woman or a man in relationship that if you're in that place of feeling like I couldn't, I just couldn't leave this person, mm -hmm. then that indicates there's some work to be done there. Um, yeah, that's right. And and I was even hearing in what you just described, like when you got to that point of like, yeah, you do that work and then you're actually in choice. Like for me, I felt this huge sense of relief, like, oh yeah, of course, then you're at a place where you can make the best choice for you. You're in your discernment, not letting fear run the show. Yeah, yeah, well said. So Jason, I just need to pause for a quick moment to mention, uh, along with our generous listener sponsors, we also have a new sponsor of this week's episode, yogaglow.com. And Yoga Glow has a special offer for Relationship Alive listeners. So you're here, and like me, you probably get that there are some benefits to doing something like yoga or meditation to help you connect with your body and calm your mind. And maybe like me, you don't have a lot of time to get to a yoga or meditation studio right when the classes that you want are being offered. Or maybe some days you do have the time and other days you don't have the time, but you could fit something in if you could do it right then and there, being guided by something on your computer or on your smartphone. Well, that's where Yoga Glow comes in. They have yoga classes and guided meditations for all levels with world-class teachers to help you energize, get fit, get flexible, or simply calm down after a long day. And earlier today, I was just kind of searching around to see what I could find, and I ended up doing a meditation with them that guided me through this process of figuring out what was really important, what matters most in my life right now. The whole thing only took 15 minutes, but that 15 minutes changed my entire day. So Yoga Glow is only $18 a month, and as I mentioned earlier, they have a special offer for you of two weeks for free just for trying them out. So all you have to do is visit yogaglow.com slash alive. That's yogaglow.com slash alive for two free weeks. Visit yogaglow.com slash alive, check them out, get your two free weeks, and let me know what you think. And Yoga Glow, thank you so much for your generous support of this week's episode of Relationship Alive. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. For you, where is the place that joy resides? And I think a lot of people come to us in pain, as we were talking about earlier. But on the flip side is, do you have ways that you encourage people to magnify what's good in their relationship and the ways that, that times that aren't painful actually foster growth as well? Yeah, I think that's a that's an important question um, because so many of us tend to focus on what's wrong, right? Um, we grew up in families always looking for the threat, so then we play life that way. Yeah, um, and that's how we're wired. You know, we're wired for threat, and we we're more wired for threat than we are for love. So we're uh, norm. Your normal listener, if you're always kind of looking for that thing that's like you want to pick on or in yourself or someone else, that's really normal. And it can it can be a little uh, unattractive, I guess, to be around if you're always, especially if you kind of it comes out as a complaint, and you're sort of complaining about yourself or the other person a lot. That that's just not sexy, and there's not a lot of joy in that. However, if you're on the personal growth path and you're like looking for opportunities to grow and learn more about yourself, that is sexy, and there is a lot of joy in that. And that's where I find the juice is. Um, I'm like a uh, just a hungry beast when it comes to my own issues and other people's. And I, I like to uh, really wrestle with the hard questions. Like for, for whatever reason, that's where I find a lot of joy is in the journey and in the, just the her hero's journey of, of dealing with um, complicated 
dynamics um, relationally as well as just in life. So um, I think everybody has their own joy spot, like what brings you joy and how, well, how can we bring more joy into this relationship? But uh, I will say, I guess one more thing here is that in my experience, joy is best when it's earned. And a lot of people want, we get entitled around love and we think that our partner should just can't we just focus on the good stuff and can't we just be upbeat and positive right now? There's so much, life is so hard. Can't we just like, I want my relationship to be like joyful. Great. You can have that, but you got to earn it. Um, it's not given to you and uh, you need to learn how to work through the struggle so you can earn a sense of joy and fulfillment. That's really beautiful. And that's to me where the kind of joy I love to feel and, and want in my life. I don't want, you know, whenever joy is sort of, or some easeful thing is handed to me, I tend to squander it anyway, and then um, it goes away quick. It's like dopamine. It's like, oh, that feels good, but then it's gone, and now we're back to the struggle. So I, I encourage couples to embrace the struggle because you're going to actually get more joy that way. And that brings me back to what we were talking about in terms of telling it like it is. And there's there's a graceful way to tell it like it is and be in your truth and there are some less elegant ways, and maybe part of the learning and growth is occasionally stumbling through those less elegant ways. But I'm wondering for you, what are some ways to approach, if I'm, if I'm getting in touch with my truth about something, yeah. um, whether it's um, the amount of sex we're having in our relationship, or... Um, prioritizing our couple time versus time with the kids or what's happening with us financially. And mm -hmm. there's something that is really stirring inside me, like where I, you know, maybe I even talk to friends and I'm like, this is my truth. And I'm just looking for the courage to bring that to my relationship. Um, what do you, how would you work with someone in that place to, help them be as generative as possible in how they bring their truth to their partner? Yeah, I would say bring your vulnerability first. Um, and that would look like, hey, honey, I'm really scared to talk to you about this. I've been sitting with something for a while now and I, I want to uh, have a conversation about our, our finances or our sex life. And I'm really nervous and I'm um, yeah, I just wanted to say that because I don't know how else to bring it to you, but I'm bringing it to you now. Um, so if we lead with vulnerability, it's a, it can be disarming. Granted that can also trigger someone into, uh Oh, you know, an Oh shit kind of response mm -hmm. where they're maybe already on the defensive. Um, but it tends to go better in my experience than if I just blast my partner with my truth, like, Hey, here it is, gush, and it's like, whoa, where did that come from? It's out of the blue, and it's a little jarring. Um, that that tends to not go well. Uh, I think it goes better, but but again, not the fantasy that it's not going to be like easeful and perfect. Uh, but it's better when we're vulnerable first. And um, I, I know if you brought that to me, or my wife brought that to me, or a friend brought that to me, it would just it's like ah, thanks. It does something to me. Uh, there's a relaxation quality and. You went first, now I get to go second and I can bring my vulnerability too. Yeah. Yeah, and one thing that you mentioned in one of your passages in the Smart Couple quote book was the way that when you're in a conversation with your partner to do your best to focus on either doing the being the one who's doing the understanding, like really trying to get your partner, Mm -hmm. Or if you really want to be understood, to rest there and and um, try to anchor yourself in that in that desire for your partner to actually hear you, and that comes that I think bumps up against what you were just talking about, which is even when you bring your vulnerability, that like that in and of itself could trigger your partner, and and I think you talk about this as well that once one person is triggered. Uh, you know, whether it's something cosmic or your mirror neurons, you're you're in that dance of mutual triggeredness there. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the question that comes up for me here for you is around is around that dance of anchoring yourself 
And then also being able to stay meta, like, oh, look, I'm noticing you're getting really triggered now and I'm getting really triggered now. And and I'm really hoping that you can understand, like, I really want you to understand me before we move on to the next part of this conversation. Um, what's the balance there for you in terms of just like being in the trigger and staying rooted in, I really want you to understand me here versus like, okay, time out. Here we are in our state of being triggered. Let's let's yeah. do something about that. Yeah, th- I mean, there's of course lots of different ways to approach this. Um, we can go top down or bottom up if we keep it simple here. Top down is whoa, I'm being triggered. I'm aware of that. You're triggered. Let's take a break, honey. Um, let's come back when we're both a little more resourced. We go self regulate. We come back and talk about it. A bottom up approach would be I stay and I breathe and I stop talking. And I uh, slowly move toward you, um, and uh, and I do my best to sense and perceive the threat response as I move toward you. And I want to come in as a calming person, even if I'm triggered, a little activated. I can still move toward you in a non-threatening way, and I can do that with a tone of voice that just says, "I'm right here. I care about working through this with you." And then I'm my body is sending the message that I'm safe to be around. And I might even put my hand on your leg or um, just be in proximity 10 feet away, uh, not directly facing you because that's too threatening. So I might turn my body a little bit. And I just plant myself as a gesture of kindness. And, um, you know, that I'm speaking to the scared animal now inside of you and letting you know that it's okay. Um, I don't like what's going on, but I'm committed to staying in the room and I want to work on this with you. So those might be two different ways to come at it. And as one of my mentors said, um, Bruce Tift, have you have you interviewed Bruce yet? No, not yet. Okay, you, sh- you should interview this guy. <laughs> anyway, All right. <laughs> uh, he was awesome. He he years ago he was a professor in my grad school program, and he he was like, you know, it's pretty simple, which you probably heard before, which is the the most mature person in any given moment, or the most resourced person in any given moment, needs to take the lead uh, on the repair. If there's been a rupture, it's like, okay, one of us needs to, we're both triggered, but the least triggered of us needs to take the lead here. Um, So sometimes that can be pretty predictable who that role is in the relationship. Um, And other times it's dynamic and it changes every fight we have. But I just thought that was a good sort of rule of thumb. Yeah, yeah. And that feels really true to my experience too, that there are times when when I'm that person and definitely times when my wife Chloe is is the person who's you know staring at me in my trigger and either finding a way to laugh or to get back to safety or whatever whatever yeah. it is that helps initiate that process. Yeah. When I was reading your book I had this thought about how we do have this fantasy of you know you meet someone that you, you get all the hits of dopamine and endorphins and you're in the honeymoon stage. And this idea that that's, there's some way to perpetuate that and, and live in this state of bliss. And one thing that you comment on time and time again in your book is, no, like the, the journey here is the way that we experience conflict and welcome conflict and get to the other side of that as a growth experience. And you just mentioned the hero's journey and that was actually what came up for me. Like how boring would uh, would any of our myths be if there were no um, obstacle to overcome? Yeah. yeah. Um, which isn't about like manufacturing obstacles, like, you know, let there be easefulness in your relationship, but... I think if our innate human truth was just everything's going to be bliss and everyone's going to always get along and there's no reason to grow, then we wouldn't have the the art, the mythology, the stories, the things that actually compel us, which also seem to be wired into us as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. And that's why I encourage people to not make their past or their parents wrong. Because what you went through was the, you know, initiation, if you will, into who you are. And so 
um, all the scars you have, if, especially if you make meaning out of them, can be real assets in your life. And then you get to help other people with those challenges later on. Is there a, a point where you feel like people are just dealing with an issue in the present versus having something from the past that's being triggered up and rippling you know, back into some something that happened in their childhood? Yeah, it's pretty rare. Um, I, I want to say yes, but mo- my experience shows me it's most often. Well, I mean, it's there, there's like two things going on there. Is um, there's the neuroception stuff that you know you understand from Porges's work, where um, you walk into a room and you're just having a bad day for whatever reason, and your facial expression th- sends a threat signal to my body. Now I'm triggered. And it has nothing to do with my past. It's just it's just the animal inside of me um, looks is looking for threat all the time. And it just saw a, a facial expression that looked threatening. So I reacted. And it may have absolutely nothing to do with my dad or my mom. You know. So I think those those are the moments certainly that it's just like oh we're now in something and we don't even know what happened and it doesn't feel tied to our past at all. Um, so I I think that's where I would say yes. That. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that being said, most of the time, we are getting hooked in to some really deep experience that was imprinted upon us, perhaps even before we knew how to talk about it or knew what was happening with our parents. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I watch, you may see this with your kids, like I watch this with my kids that, you know, they're sensitive little kids. Um, and when it, and they have a very secure attachment and I feel like a pretty clean life in terms of big relational injuries. Uh, there's been a few, but overall it's pretty, pretty, uh, amazing what where we've been able to create. And I don't have a fantasy that's going to last. They're going to get hurt naturally in life, of course, um, year after year, which will shape them. Um, but it's interesting to see in a pretty secure attached, really secure attached home that, their threat responses and alarm bells still go off as they should when they perceive threat. And it doesn't have something to do with their past, you know, like Mm. my daughter will walk into a a park or a room and all of a sudden she's hesitating. And and it's because she's picking up on some vibe in the room that doesn't feel good to her. Right. Um, So I think that's, um, that's helpful for me to see because then it, it goes, Oh, right. There's, it doesn't always have to do with our past. Yeah, yeah, you're and you're making me think also at this moment about uh Peter Levine's work and the the way that with kids he's working to help them develop a language of sensation in their body with that language being tied into the 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 more primitive parts of their brain that are fully online versus, you know, the the still developing prefrontal cortex that, you know, really isn't uh, fully developed until we're in our 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'm just thinking about, yeah, with my kids, like, of course, they're they're um, on the edge of being triggered all the time because the parts of their brain that would help them actually uh, regulate and come back into balance are, don't even exist or, or exist really um, incrementally as opposed to like being fully fully there and online. Which might yeah, be why we end up hearkening back to those childhood experiences so much, because we're in that raw imprint stage around those more uh, primitive parts of our brain. Yeah, totally. I like that. And then they're they're looking to you, right, to regulate and to exactly. uh, help them because it's not developed yet. Yeah, yeah. And now how funny is that, that so much of, I wonder if at some point our work around relationship will become moot because the co-regulation that's so deeply healing and connecting and partnership will just be natural for people. And yet I feel like in many respects, that's one of the biggest tasks that, that I have right now is helping people see how when they show up in relationship and view that as their mission, that, that that's part of what gets them past all of these places where they bump up against each other's triggers and each other's insecurities and fears is having that skill of co-regulation. Yeah, I think that's definitely the the frontier uh, in the future. And 
yeah, wow, would it be an amazing day when we saw that that was kind of status quo or normal. Uh, but I, th- <laughs> I think we're really far from that. I think we're still pretty pretty stuck in the anti-codependent model, which means I need to regulate myself and, and um, I'll deal with my triggers and you deal with yours. And that's still the norm, you know. Um, so I love hearing that you're you're a fan of that and that that's I like what you said that that's my mission. Um, yeah, that's inspiring to me because it says if I'm in a relationship with you, it means that you're going to look out for me all the time around my nervous system and you're going to do what it takes to help me calm and soothe and and uh, we're going to be a team in that way together. Yeah, how you doing right now? I'm good. Okay, yeah. good. Just just checking in. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Um, and at the same time, you talk about, uh, and I, I loved this um, in your book, your definition of intimacy as balancing closeness and separateness. And so here we are talking about the importance of co-regulating and how we show up for each other. And yet um, there's, this, uh, there's this dynamic, a dialectic at work around also needing some differentiation um, yeah. Yeah. So, and and I love too how you just brought up um, the anti-codependent paradigm. Uh, I know you and your wife did a did a talk recently out in Colorado. I think I saw that in one of your emails about um, codependence, and um, this is something that we've talked about here on the show. I'm wondering if you can offer a little bit more insight into what you're talking about, like bridging from anti-codependence into more of a healthy interdependence, or at least that's what I'm guessing you're, you're shooting for. Yeah, that's right. I mean, people are, um, the codependency movement, uh, came out of the addiction model and Alcoholics Anonymous, which was great. It, It was like, Hey, let's focus on the system and let's focus on the, the person who's in a relationship with the addict and try to help them because we're so focused on the addict that, um, we've sort of lost this person who's kind of an enabler. Let's deal with the enabler. And that was a good move, right? It's like um, that um, part of the system is absolutely part of the problem. Uh, and those people need just as much help as the addict does. So uh, the codependent scene was was awesome in that it said, hey, when you're codependent, this is actually not probably going to help your partner recover from addiction. And what it basically said was you're sort of, they're, they're depending on you to like stay alive or to stay sober or something. And so you're really hooked in to being that anchor for them. And it's a, it's a one way relationship. That's how Stan Tack and I think would define codependency is it's a one way uh, track and co-regulation on the other hand is about we're mutually going to have each other's back on regulating each other. And it's very different than a one sided, I'll be there for you, but you're not going to really return the favor. Um, so I'm our talk essentially Ellen and I's talk was essentially saying that and we were saying you know back to the intimacy definition it's like a long-term partnership is both you need both independent qualities in both of you and you need to learn dependent healthy dependency on each other I'm like so dependent on my wife in so many ways um and likewise her with me and that doesn't have to be a problem or bad or labeled codependent or, ooh, it's the boogeyman and it's going to fuck up our relationship. It's, it's really um, dependency is necessary in a partnership over time. So we're trying to help people embrace that through more of a co-regulation model. Yeah, you also talk about um, marriage as being like a business and you know, you better pay attention to it like you would a business. And suddenly I'm just thinking about how funny it would be if you like formed a business with someone and then you didn't figure out how to depend on each other healthfully, like that, that it's almost required in a business, like, all right, we're going to figure out like who's responsible for what and, and how we can share, you know, in responsibility and how we show up for each other. It's kind yeah. of funny, like how that's like obvious, you know, and then like somehow you would expect your relationship to be like, no, you do you and I'll do me and we should be good that way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yep, I agree. That's why I like to use those kind of analogies because people, um, it seems foreign or something in a relationship or, and then you just try to meet them where they're at with the practical examples that, that are going on in their life around business or finance or whatever. And it's like, oh, right. Yeah, we would want to be a team here. Yeah. 
Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about your curriculum? Like what what's the the foundation that you stand on in terms of what you see as being really crucial for people to learn in order to be in relationship well? Yeah. Um, let me, uh, there's a few different ways I can talk about that. Um, a lot of it is, you know, my, my frame is we didn't learn formally how to do relationships. So when we don't, we're just going to fall back on, um, the patterns in our nervous system and body and communication style that we grew up with or that we have survived our life with for how many years we've been alive. So that's okay. And it gets us what we're getting, but what would happen if we formally learned uh, and we were given a curriculum that helped us walk through how to do a partnership well, a love relationship well. So that's what the relationship school is. And it's really two elements, Neil. It's, um, the intellectual understanding of how relationships work, and then it's the practice. So it's the it's really just that. Um, the curriculum is really designed to give people the meta view of how relationships work, how to do them well, how to you know how the brain works, how the nervous system works, how to talk, how to listen, and all the skills involved in that. And then we practice um, because practice is really what moves the needle. Um, you know, I was a therapist for years, and I would give people homework and they wouldn't do it. And then they went home to their isolated lives where they didn't ha- know anyone that was talking in this way and being this authentic. And they would just not really um, progress very, very quickly. And what I found with more of a school-based learning is it attracts a more committed person that actually wants to learn and gets that in order to have a great relationship, there's some things I need to learn and actually get in my cells over time. So that's why it's a nine-month curriculum is you have to practice with people in your cohort. And by the end of the training, you know how to listen to someone in the heat of the moment. And, uh, you know, we saw that as evidenced in our last training and it was really powerful. Mm. Mm. So from that, it sounds like that question of how you maintain your presence when the shit hits the fan, that's, also something that you see as central in, in how we navigate the, in, the day-to-day of, of our relationships. Yeah, totally. One of our weekends, our live weekends out here in Boulder is called Embracing Conflict. And it's, it's really contrary to what so many of us know, which is to um, not have conflict. In fact, one of the kids in our high school class in Wisconsin that's taking our first curriculum in uh, 10th graders um, asked the question or said to our, we're introducing the concept of embracing conflict. And this young woman said, well, um, I do conflict well because I, I don't get into conflict and that's doing conflict well. And it's like, no, 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 (laughs) that's not what we're talking about. (laughs) But it was kind of a cute, that's sort of a statement about where people are at with conflict, which is the assumption that not doing conflict means you're good at conflict or that that's doing conflict well. And it's like, no, no, we actually want to enter into conflict. I grew up in a family where there was no conflict or very little conflict. And, and that was my badge of honor for years. And so anytime a conflict came to my relationship, I'd cite my parents and be like, Hey, they never had conflict. And so this must mean the relationship's doomed. But that just kept me at a glass ceiling that I couldn't pass, couldn't move past because I, I wasn't understanding conceptually that no tension is actually necessary. It's a necessary part of life and conflict will never go away. So what if we learned how to be uh, the Aikido move of how to work with it and that energy when it's coming at us and we're upset? Because those people tend to be the most empowered people relationally that I see. Hmm. Yeah, it's like you're you feel it coming and you're. I wouldn't. I don't want to call it like a bring it on kind of moment, but it's like, uh, all right, I'll welcome this. Like, what? How can I show up here? What do I have to learn in this moment? Yeah, you you got it right. Exactly. What? How can I show up? What can I stand to learn from this? How can I grow through this? Gosh, this is hard. I also have an opportunity to like lean on people and ask for help, and whether it's a therapist or a coach or a friend or what? An, what an amazing like opportunity uh, versus oh shit, it's bad, it's wrong. I got this has got to go away. Yeah. Yeah. So when if if I'm listening to us and thinking like 
well, shit, I fight with my partner all the time. Like, how much is too much? Or how do I know if, if conflict, if we're not experiencing conflict the way that, that you and I are talking about right now? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. That's an important um, add-on here. I think if it's going on and on, this is where people will burn out. Um, one of my mentors sort of taught me the, this term of boredom or burnout is usually what happens in a relationship of people kind of get flat and stale or they get burned out because they, they don't know how to work through their upsets effectively and it's, it's grating on the nervous system after many years of not being able to resolve resentments or issues. So um, when I, I always say back to that person that says how much is too much is, Let's ask a different question. How about what do I still have yet to learn or what do I need, still need to learn to make this process more efficient for myself? And um, I think that is going to get you further faster uh, than, you know, how much is too much? Uh, because there's, to me, there's always a solution uh, inside myself. There, it may not be with the other person, but I can work through a conflict with myself um, with or without them. So, I need better tools probably. I need to um, learn from people who have this part of their life dialed and are good at it. And then I could maybe uh, ask you know, a similar question. Yeah, that gets me really curious. Um, again, something that you mentioned several times in the Smart Couple Quote Book is the possibility that when you when there's something that you're judging someone for or that you're dissatisfied with or you have an ongoing conflict with someone that it's an there's an opportunity for you to um to resolve that within you mm -hmm. and i'm wondering if there's a bit of a process there um the kinds of questions that i might ask myself that help me get at my responsibility. Cause that's part of what I'm hearing in that is like, yeah, this is the part that I'm truly, totally responsible for. Um, knowing that at some point I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach the limit of my boundary. And there, there probably is, you know, at least 1% or two or maybe 30 that the other person's responsible for. And that's their deal. But if you, I would love for you to offer some, some, questions or insight into your process for how to mine my side of the the responsibility equation okay yeah um one of the again something i learned in gestalt therapy years ago uh that then was reinforced by another mentor uh, years later was this notion of you spot it you got it mm -hmm. so whatever i'm judging out there is something disowned that i'm judging and in resistance to inside myself. So if I'm judging um, someone as uh, needy, for example, they're needy and that's triggering me and you're in a relationship with me and I'm just, God, you're needy and it's turning me off and I'm starting to pull away because you're so needy. I need to look at my side of that and go, okay, why is the needy person, if I'm perceiving them as needy, why is that triggering me? What's, the, what, what's going on here? Why do I let that bother me so much? Well, chances are I grew, I grew up with a parent or someone in my life that might have had a lot of needs that I was expected, demanded to fulfill, and it was overwhelming for me, it was traumatic for me, it was um, engulfing for me, it was a number of things. And so um, I might uh, start to examine my past there. And then another layer is I, I need to start to look at, because the story I would, would then tell myself is I'm not needy. But then I need to go back in my life and look at all the places and times where I was needy and um, up to the present moment because I'm of the view that we there's no trait that isn't mine that I can't own. So um, I'm a liar, I'm a crook, I'm a villain, I'm an asshole, I'm a hero, I'm an amazing person, I'm a champion, I'm all of these different things. I'm needy, I'm not needy. And so if I do the work to find out if that's true, uh, chances are I'm going to get to a place of embracing my neediness, which that, which then lends itself to me embracing your needs. And you don't have to scream and yell anymore because I love you as you are. I love your needs. I love the way you express them. And now you don't have to, it doesn't have to come out sideways or come out and be so strong because you're not trying to get me to own this part that I've disowned anymore. So that's like a mm. practical example of how I might 
two specific ways how I might take more responsibility there. Yeah, yeah. And on the flip side, um, I can see that also being true. The flip side being that person that we were talking about actually right off the top of someone who's disengaged and maybe maybe our judgment of them is that they're abandoning or they're checked out. Um, yep. Again, I could see that being at least a way of really getting checked in with that part of you before you make any sort of conclusions about whether that person is or isn't showing up in the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's so many, this is where it gets really rich in terms of my growth opportunities are, are everywhere in an intimate partnership. And basically wherever I get triggered is probably where my work is. And there's things to learn about myself. And so, um, I, I really enjoy personally that process of of learning uh, because I am I am I do take a stand for love and to me love embraces the dark and the light and so I need to it's an opportunity to like love more of myself which then allows me to love more of my partner and my kids and so there's just a the, the responsibility path is is really empowering mm. yeah and that seems like an important distinction when it comes to choosing your partner or trying to invite, if you're already in relationship, invite your partner into that kind of relationship uh, is to be able to show up that way and to be able to encourage them to show up that way. And to notice if you're if you're choosing someone just because you were like really attracted to them and you jumped into bed and before you know it like there you are like now it's 6 months later you're talking about living together and but the question comes up of is this person willing to step into I don't know why the ring is coming up for me because I'm I'm not sure I like the <laughs> the boxing metaphor but like are they are they willing to be there with you in that way. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas like, I mean, how many people find themselves in relationship and then like down the road, like months down the road being like, wait a minute, this person doesn't really seem all that interested in me or in what's in my life or what's going on with me there. Like, I guess it was a, it was fun as long as we were having sex together or, you know, yeah. going out on fun dates, but Right. As long as it felt good, it was cool. But now it's not feeling good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's why uh, in Stan's book, Wired for Dating, um, he talks about vetting, right? The importance of vetting a partner yeah. and how like you should take them around to every one of your closest friends and have them meet separately without you there. Um, <laughs> I thought that was really edgy Brilliant. and intense, yeah. you know, like interview process basically to date, to date someone. <laughs> but I get what he's saying. It's like so crucial to find that right sparring partner, if we're going to stick with that metaphor of um, you're going to get in fights. You are going to have extremely hard times. Um, why not do a thorough vetting process and find out if this person is going to be uh, the kind of person, if you're out at sea on a little raft, uh, that's actually going to do the work to help you get to safety and that's going to uh, be a team and it's going to be an ally out there instead of a, a foe where you're going to just argue with. So I think it's essential. I mean, people that don't do that and that just get married quick and, uh, hey, it's everything's great, honeymoon, it's awesome, let's have kids, let's join our finances, let's move in together, and they make all these intense de decisions, man, uh, those people have a steep path, you know, uh, and that's fine. They chose that and they can deal with it, but I, I recommend slow it down, folks. <laughs> slow it down. As I say, probably in that book too, I think I said like, I don't recommend marriage uh, really to anybody unless you want to go all in on the work. And um, the work meaning facing yourself, growing and learning, learning how to do relationship well, learning how to listen well and all that stuff. It's like it's essential. Yeah. Yeah. And people you can you cannot know that that's what you're showing up for and still find your way there you can yeah yeah because life will uh back to the pain thing where we started life will bring you some pain 
uh, to get you to wake up out of a fantasy. And so you can start paying attention to what needs attention. And smart people are like, oh, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Relationship would be kind of tricky like this. Let's do it. Let's get, let's get our work gloves on and get in there and learn about ourselves. Yeah. What are, what are your thoughts on the on ways of spicing up your relationship. So when people are in uh, a relationship that they feel is getting a little stale, um, I'm guessing that, you know, one place we might go is like, well, what conflicts are you avoiding? That's <laughs> one like yeah, obvious place. Totally. But yeah. like there's a lot of conventional wisdom that's circulating right now that has to do with kind of doing things to up the dopamine in your relationship. And I'm just totally. curious to know what your take is on on that as tar- as far as like a sustainable approach to yeah. <laughs> to keeping things fun in your relationship. Yeah, you probably know what I'm going to say here, but um I the only way I would recommend that, the dop- upping the dopamine is to do some psychedelics together and <laughs> really go deep and have it facilitated, get a facilitator and do some LSD together or some MDMA or some psilocybin and, and then see what you find out about each other. Great. Um, but it's not all going to be dopamine, especially if you're dealing with LSD or psilocybin. It's going to be um, very confronting because you're going to see parts of yourself you don't want to see. Um, but that all of a sudden isn't boring anymore. It doesn't need to be spiced up. It's plenty spicy. So that's obviously like an immediate hit, but most people aren't going to want to do that. So you might instead, um, first of all, the view here is, I, I like what you said, it's like we're probably avoiding something. I probably have some patterns and defenses that, and some density inside of me that's pretty thick. And Because uh, I don't think people are boring at all. I think there's always more to explore with another human being. Uh, mm. But I would, I would sign up for a workshop. Come out to Colorado to the Embracing Conflict Weekend. Sign up for one of Neil's events. Sign up for... Um, a Tantra weekend. Sign, sign up for a weekend and just throw yourselves into an experience with other like-minded, like-hearted people. Take a giant risk and I guarantee you're going to come out of the, the weekend if it's facilitated well by someone, um, a different couple, and you might come out of the weekend realizing you need to leave and separate and that might be a win for both of you. Um, so these types of experiences I think are, it can be like a jolt to the system in a good way. Um, and then certainly another, another low hanging fruit would be to, to hire a a professional to get in there with you or to go to your, um, 10 closest friends that you call close and, uh, get feedback. Hey, uh, we're kind of stuck as a couple and we're looking for some feedback. And, um, how do you see us? What do you think our, our strengths and weaknesses are and get some really vulnerable, honest assessments. And, and even the thought of that is I think exhilarating to think, Ooh, I'm going to go be real, that real with people. Yeah, try it, you know. Those kind of things would be what I say. But yeah, not certainly I love, not recommending dopamine. <laughs> I love that last idea, and I'm wondering if you have maybe an additional piece of wisdom or two around setting up that frame for your friends so that what they're offering you is is truly helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe set, setting the stage to educate your friends on where you're at. And a lot of a lot of us hide out with our friendships and we actually don't talk about the struggle. When we get together socially, we might just go to dinner, party or whatever. And we might present, we might talk about the struggle at work or struggle with finances, but we might not talk about the flatness or stuckness in our marriage and how to get out of it. Um, so we could set it up to our friends by saying, look, I, I know we've been... Um, given you in the impression probably but that we're doing well well the truth is we, we're doing well on on one level in that we're there's no problems here um, really but that's kind of part of our problem we're, we're a little stuck and we're looking to spice things up a little bit and we'd love uh, our closest friends to gather either together over at our house um, or one-on-one and give us some really honest feedback and no no holding back we can take care of ourselves and you know you set it up like this so that People have a little bit of the do's and don'ts. Um, but again, we want to go to friends that are actually going to be real with us and not just tell us, no, you guys are great. I don't know why you're complaining about it. You guys are like an amazing couple. Like, We don't want that kind of feedback. We want feedback that's going to challenge us to examine ourselves more closely. 
it inspires me to think about creating that kind of culture on a, on a larger scale. That's mm -hmm. something that, that Chloe and I have definitely done with our marriage in terms of uh, enlisting the help of friends uh, at various points along the way. Um, yeah. Something that we'll continue to do. And yeah, you, you highlight this really well in your book that, that so often people are, you know, what you see on Facebook does not represent the reality of the, the lives that your friends have. Um, so being able to show up with them and, and have that, I think, have it be really clear that this is about being in support of your relationship and, mm -hmm. um, you know, not the time probably for your friends to say, well, we never really liked the two of you together anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you get to set it up with the do's and don'ts again, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I love that. And, um, and I'm curious for you, if you don't mind offering something personal, like how has that shown up for you in, in your marriage with, with Ellen in terms of times that you've maybe been able to or had to enlist the help of others? Yeah, we call it friend therapy. So um, there's been numerous times where over the course of our relationship, we've uh, had friends over or gone to a friend's house and just wanted reflections. Um, hey, we're, and there was one time I'm thinking of, for whatever reason in this moment, where we were on our patio and we had just another couple over, really close friends of ours, and said, we're stuck. Um, we are in it we are in some kind of fucking dynamic and I'm, I'm pretty fused to my perspective. And so she, can we get, uh, your guys is, we want to talk about what's what we, where we're at and give you some context and content and then just give us what you see. Like, where are we stuck? Where am I stuck? Where's she stuck? Help us out here. And you know, it was like two hours later we were unstuck. It was mm. done and we were like totally moving forward and it was extremely helpful um, and then the other night, you know, recently we, we, uh, had a couple friend come over and we did the same for them. They were extremely stuck and we listened and, and helped, uh, just offer a few reflections that, uh, have changed it for them. Yeah. So we don't have to be, you know, and, and Ellen and I, sure you could say, well, you're an expert. It's easy for you to say, well, sometimes if, if you're just a good listener and you can reflect back what you're seeing, well, it seems like this, do I have it Right. That alone, just to get an outsider reflecting back what they see, uh, is extremely helpful. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting twist on that whole process of being seen and having someone reflect things back to you because often they can be completely accurate in what they're reflecting back. You know, this is what I'm hearing. Did I get it? Is there more? You know, the classic Imago script Mm -hmm. And you hear all that and you're like, yes, that's exactly what I said. And in hearing it reflected back to me, I realize that's not what I mean at all. Or that's, that's actually not me. Or that's, that's me being in my fear. Or it offers you that kind of insight, even if um, it's a step beyond being simply seen and understood. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I, I think what we're saying here to the listener is um, it's just an opportunity to step outside of you we tend to, it's hard to see ourselves when we're really in it. And just to get an outsider reflecting us back is, is immensely helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So you can encourage your friends to listen to uh, Relationship Alive or to the Smart Couple podcast before they show up at your house to give you their reflections. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Jason, it's been such a treat to have you here on Relationship Alive. Um, I definitely encourage you to check out Jason's show, The Smart Couple Podcast, um, Relationship School. Um, is, there, is there any preferred way that you think, Jason, for someone to like find out more about you and engage with, with your, your stuff? I think just the relationshipschool.net is probably the easiest way to find out more about us and check out the podcast and uh, what we're up to and how to get involved. And is relationship school, is that something where someone has to like show up, uh, you know, at the beginning of a semester or is that an ongoing thing? Yeah, good question. There's, there's really three levels. Um, we have a membership community that's um, just, we meet every other Wednesday uh, to practice um, skills, relationship skills. And those are live calls that are then recorded and sent out to you. 
that's like $31 a month if you pay annually. And then there's the high-level program that requires a nine-month commitment, and they do start uh, one in January and the next one in September. So two rolling a year, and those are those are a much, much bigger commitment that you do need to start sort of at a specific time with. Yeah, yeah, and that makes sense because I'm sure your, your material builds on itself, so important yeah. things to know so that you can... Yeah, and, and it sounds like it's also the community around the the processes just as important as the information that you're getting, as you've said, the practice as well as the the download of information. So that yeah, makes sense yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we don't need to struggle in isolation in our relationships. We can struggle together and learn together and grow together. Well, Jason, I look forward to staying in touch and, and, and keeping my... Uh, my eyes on your work. I really appreciate what you're bringing to the world and through your show and, and the relationship school, just such important uh, way of helping our whole culture change and transform. So thank you for, for being there and for, for uh, being such a bright contribution to the world in that way. Yeah, you got it, Neil. Thanks again for having me. And I'm psyched to uh, reciprocate and turn the mic over to you shortly on my podcast. All right, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.